Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler, back with episode four of season nine of the pod. And this week, I'm getting the lowdown from Bliss's CMO, Diane Perlman, on their latest insider report by media planners for media planners. It's 20 minutes of meandering around connected TV, the forgotten audience, and a real sense from planners about how they're thinking and feeling about life post-cookies. So expect a privacy-first bonanza from start to finish, with a smattering of myth-busting near the end where we unpack whether or not inclusive advertising online can only really be effective with the use of deeply personal data. But I started by asking Diane about the insight that drove their insider report. So we work with every major global media agency and within those planners are a key client of ours. And we really just wanted to try and unpack, you know, what's been going on for planners during the pandemic. Everything has changed. Consumers have changed consumer behavior in particular. And so we really wanted to talk to planners and understand what it is that they're, that they're thinking, how they're viewing this privacy first world that we're living in, this sort of post pandemic world we're living in and understand what their challenges are. So that was what drove us to do this research. And there's so much to get your head around in terms of just consumer behaviour, particularly with digital and digital devices. I mean, that's enough. Plus, you've got this whole privacy, user identity thing bubbling away in the background as well. I wonder if there's anything that you saw when you saw that first cut of the report, anything that really jumped out and surprised you? Absolutely. I mean, we focused a lot on the need to privacy first priorities out mm. there and the, of course what their top priorities were and I think there was a, a sort of a, a list of answers <laughs> they could select from but what we noticed was that media planners in the UK are still not seeing privacy first solutions or identifying and mm. using and testing privacy first solutions as a key priority for 2022 and we think that this is surprising but also yeah. a bit of a mistake we have had as we like to say sort of a, a stay of execution on the privacy changes especially relating to google's deprecation of a third-party cookie mm. but this is not a reprieve and it seems like maybe people have started to take their foot off the pedal a little yeah, bit yeah yeah do, do, do you think that's it because i've you kind of hear that in different forms it felt like everyone got completely geared up i mean use the example of gdpr where everyone went and got a you know chief data officer if you didn't already made people in charge of different things yeah. Things. Do you think that sort of gearing up happened and then the fact that the deadline, I guess, gets extended, people then just find something else to prioritise and it's now quite hard to whip people back in and go, no, 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 this is still a really big thing. Yeah, I think so. And, and I do think that there was an element of fatigue there. There was yeah. just so much in mm. the press. There was so mm. much being said. And we were one of those voices, you know, out there kind of saying that everybody needs to be focused on this. And certainly as a business, you know, we were cranking out this privacy first solution mm. to what, you know, what is the, one of the biggest challenges that our industry has faced. So I think it is a case of turning their attention to other things mm. since they have this reprieve. But we think that it's time for people to really continue that focus instead of moving on to something else. Yeah, 100%. God, there's no shortage uh, of other things to think about as well. You talked to 200 media planners across the UK, the US and Australia, and it was a mix, wasn't it, of agency people and then in-house teams as well. Any big differences between the two at all there? Yeah, absolutely. And just to say, we spoke to just over 200 in the UK um, and also 200 in the US and then another 100 or so in Australia. I'm undercooking it by a third, unbelievably. I mean, it's massive. 
Yes, so a much bigger audience than that. But what we did see was in the U.S., 56% of the planners said that privacy was a priority. In Australia, it was about 50%. And in the U.K., it was just 40% of planners mm. that said that it was a priority. So, so we are seeing the U.K. planners putting it less high on their list yeah. at the moment. And what about those in-house planners versus people working in an agency? Any difference that you saw there at all? Yes, we did see that. I mean, for example, we saw that about one in four media planners in the UK felt that they have a good privacy-first solution in Mm. place to reach their audiences, but in-house planners were a bit more skeptical, and they were saying that we wouldn't necessarily consider any of the kind of current solutions that are out there to really be ideal to overcome their privacy concerns. So I think a little bit more caution on the in-house side. In general, we also saw that with their kind of on the CTV side, we saw a lot of foolishness on the media owner, the media agency front. We saw that the agency media planners expected to spend, are expecting to spend more than 50% of their overall digital media campaign budgets on CTV this year, whereas in-house media planners said they were expecting about 35% of their budget Mm. on CTV. So, you know, we think that maybe that difference could be due to the relatively untested scale of CTV. And media agencies maybe have a higher motivation to test newer CTV partners than brands do who are going to maybe look to prioritize the higher reach of traditional TV, at least initially, until they're more consistent measurement methodologies Mm. and we're seeing evolution there and then perhaps the media the brands will catch up to the media agencies a bit more on that front that's our speculation anyway i think that's very astute and also in an agency you know you've got a number of different clients doing different things you're getting all that kind of shared learning going on as well i want to talk a little about bliss i mean my memory of bliss is from wow a long long time ago when i was doing mobile stuff when everyone was getting very excited about mobile and Bliss was a huge partner when I was at Mindshare, just in terms of what we were doing around location. It's changed now, of course, but what's changed specifically from going from this sort of incredible partner that was all about location? Where are you now? Yeah, well, thanks for remembering us from back in the day. We have been around for a long time. Bliss, I think, is in its 17th year of business. And, you know, our heartland has always and and still is location. We have what we believe is the most accurate and precise location data because of the technology that we've built to do that. And we own our tech stack end-to-end. But obviously, with the advent of GDPR and then obviously the impending privacy changes that were coming with Apple ACT, etc., we've been working on privacy-first method for some time now. And last year, we rolled out uh, Audience Explorer, which we believe is the most visual, interactive, real-world planning tool on the market. And what this allows us to do is take our heartland of location data. Uh, So we start with how people are moving around in the real world. And of course, we only use consensus data that we get, but GPS data, however, you know, that data, as we know, is becoming more and more scarce. So what we're doing is we're augmenting that with all the other myriad of data points that you can get from in an anonymized, aggregated way from shopper affinity to online and offline spending behaviors to household ownership, car ownership, all sorts of other factors that really help you understand and complete the picture Mm. of individuals out there. And so we layer on this data on top of that location, that location insight that we have. And this allows us to really target in a very in a very precise way, but most importantly at scale. Yeah. So we can get a great picture of what consumers are doing, where we find them, where they're clustered, what the context is around them, and then be able to target them in a privacy first way. So that's really what we've been up to. And we think it's really exciting and our clients 
absolutely love the Audience Explorer tool and it, and it gives them a great way to see visually see mm. their audiences, where they are, how they can reach them at scale. I'd love to pick up on the contextual bit and the point you made around scale, which I think is a really good one. I mean, it, it certainly feels like the pendulum is swinging back to contextual mm-hmm. once third party cookie goes. There's a sort of a simplistic point of view, which is contextual is great. You've got very engaged and find niche audiences, but it doesn't scream scale. How do you get that scale with something contextual? Is it about what you're plugging in terms of different sources? I mean, if you're just using one thing, you know, someone's looked at a caravan site, for example, you shouldn't ascertain that person is in market to buy a caravan. I mean, it's an awful example, but you see what I mean. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the thing is, an idealist solution such as contextual is a good way for planners to understand and reach Mm. audiences, but it's sort of back to the future, if you will. You know, this is what we moved away from when we were able to get all of that rich, you know, kind of multi-touch targeting and attribution, et cetera. And and that's where digital advertising and I suppose the third-party cookie led us to over the years. And so now once that's being stripped back, people are kind of falling back into contextual. And we think that's okay, but it's not the full picture. And you may be able to get scale with contextual, but mm. we think the accuracy will really be lacking there. Whereas using the kind of method that we're talking about, you know, we bring in the context and we bring in the, the cohorts, if you yeah, will, yeah. you know, from what we can see in the real world and then a myriad of other data. So we can really, really scale those audiences in a way that contextual can't do. I love this positioning around privacy first. Tell me how that manifests as a business, as bliss as a business. That's a really core value for you as a business when you go to market. I mean, how how does it kind of show up? This has been front and centre for us to be privacy first. It is where the market is going. It's where the industry needs to be. And ultimately, it is the right thing to do for consumers. Ultimately, we are all in the ad industry and we're doing the things that we do, but ultimately the end recipient of the ad is the consumer, people like you and I, and we need to respect consumers as an industry. So whether that's brands or agencies or technology partners Mm. like Bliss. And so for us, it's really about doing well by doing good, if you will. You know, we have to be privacy first and, and the industry has to come together to get these solutions tested and up and running. And I, mean, I think to that extent or to that effect, we've always said that we don't think that there's a silver bullet in this. Yeah, and there are a variety of solutions out there. And we've got our kind of version of that. But we do believe that is a viable solution to idealist targeting. Yeah. And that is bearing out in the results that we're seeing with the campaigns that we're running with our clients. Yeah. So for us, Privacy First is absolutely front and center. And we can use that Audience Explorer tool, that platform to build richer media plans, activate them right in our platform and deliver better outcomes at scale yeah. in a privacy friendly way. Yeah, I guess on that, it's we've just not really known the internet without cookies, I guess, or targeting in the way that we have. There is a danger, isn't there, that as we start to build lots of different solutions, and, and totally with you, of course, there won't be one silver bullet, there'll be lots, but anything that sort of looks smells, feels like a third-party cookie, you know, we're slightly in danger of regressing. And of course, I don't think regulators are going to buy it at all. It it does need to be this very privacy-focused, privacy-first take on it. I'd love to get your view. How would you rate us as an industry on how we've done on privacy over the last decade or so? Oh, that's a prickly question, isn't it? Well, give us your take because you've, you know, you've seen across the land. Could we have done a better job collectively, kind of royal we as the industry? I would have to say yes. Mm. I mean, I think in some respects, 
the industry is doing the best it can, because I do think that old habits die hard in any walk of life, in anything that we do. And, you know, I think as an industry, we are clinging on to this. We Many have been clinging on to yes. this. But I do think that there is a lot of good work that's being done across the industry. And obviously, a lot of that work, putting those right standards into place. And so, you know, I do think that the work is happening. Yeah. But I think that given that some of the solutions that we're seeing are still ID dependent, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. do rely on people providing, say, an email address. And that is, even though it will be consent given mm. Mm. at that point, it does mean that there will be issues with scale. And so I, I do think that, and we've obviously seen now this week with Block being retired or put into the pasture. Sunset, um, I think it's called, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, it, the writing was on the wall there. You know, this was a, an ID remake, if you will. It wasn't going to be the the solution that would ultimately work. And obviously there were questions over GDPR compliance, et cetera, that led them, I imagine, to really look yeah. inward and say that they've got to find something else. It's a real balance, isn't it, between we want something quickly so we can, you know, move on, use it, but we also want the right thing. And I think it's probably better to do the latter, you know, spend some time, get this right and really set us up for the future. Diane, I wanted to ask you about Bliss in turn and what you do. You've got DNI initiative that you lead within Bliss called Rise. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So RISE is our grassroots DNI initiative, and we're really proud of it, actually. We built it from the ground up with our staff, with our team, people coming forward who had a real passion for diversity inclusion and really wanted to help to embed that within Bliss. So, you know, our mission is to really, you know, empower everyone at Bliss to be able to bring their authentic self mm. to work, to be able to, you know, support the industry, to educate each other on matters of equality and, and create an environment at Bliss that's open and welcoming for everyone. So, you know, we have been looking across the business, whether that's from our supply chain to all the aspects and making sure that, you know, we're training up our teams, that we are providing opportunities for people to learn from others. And we even created a diversity charter that our employees have all signed that really sets forth the kind of principles that we believe in at Bliss and that we think that everyone who comes into Bliss should be able to get behind to make us a more you know, open and welcoming environment. So it's something we're really proud of. And we very much took a view to kind of focus inward on making sure that yeah, we had yeah. our ship in order before mm-hmm. we started really bringing that external, if you will. I think there were a lot of activities going on, especially in 2020 around the horrible murder of George Floyd that were kind of outward shows of support, yes. but there wasn't a lot of it there. And mm. so we've been really working on that internally. I think that's a brilliant and the right way around to do it. On the sort of the combination of DNI and when we get to data, I remember sitting in a forum at the end of last year and there was a big discussion around to target more diverse, more inclusive audiences. Personal data is an absolute must. You know, we need this in order to reach them. And, you know, the other half of the room saying, well, you know, that's not right because you can do it in so many different ways. I'd, I'd love your take on how you get that right. Yeah, this is obviously a hot topic. And I think a lot of people in the industry are, are looking at this mm. in terms of how do you reach these diverse audiences? Now, of course, you know, we have policies against targeting specific ethnic groups and, yeah, yeah. and, and things like that. But, you know, when you use anonymized data, you can develop a fuller picture of people out there that you are trying to target, that addressable audience. And whether you're looking at home ownership or car ownership or languages spoken or other things, places that people are visiting, obviously bringing in our location data, you know, you can get a picture of people, but also it relates to the publisher choice. You know, I think a lot of people are pushing around diverse publishers, more independent publishers 
to make sure you've got that diversity of reach within the media buy. So I think there are a lot of things you can do that don't depend purely on personal data. And just finally, in that summary, you've got three points in the report, which I should say looks incredible. I mean, it's an sort of incredible interactive report. Thank you. You talk about one of them is, is reach the forgotten audience, which I love. Tell me about reaching the forgotten audience. Yes, this is a really important one, and one that we've been talking a lot about at Bliss, which is that right now, because of the changes that have already been made, media planners and buyers are already missing out on something like 45% wow. of the addressable scale that they had previously had access to. And so, you know, we estimate that even with UID 2.0 and topics from Google, we estimate that more than a third of the market will likely remain, you know, largely unaddressed. But with solutions that we're coming forward with, we can reach 100% of the market. And I think that, you know, it might not seem immediately pressing. Planners and buyers might say, well, I'm able to spend my budget. But we think that it's really important to be thinking about this newly unreachable audience because so much of that Apple audience has has gone away, you know, only something like 20% yeah. not, you know, haven't, have, I think it's 79% have opted out. Yeah, yeah. And so they need to be thinking about how do you regain contact with over a third of their potential customers, that addressable audience. So this is a really important factor that we think that a lot of people aren't thinking about just yet. A wonderful way to end. The report is called The Insider Report by Media Planners for Media Planners. We're going to put a link to it where you can find it on Bliss's site in the show notes. But Diane, thank you so much for giving us 20 minutes this morning. Thanks, James. It's been an absolute pleasure. Diane Perlman from Bliss there. It's a very well thought out and brilliantly put together study. So well worth a read. If you have 10 minutes, you can find the link in the episode notes or by simply visiting bliss.com and you can find it on their homepage there. And it would be remiss of me not to mention our own vast IAB resources on all things user ID. Uh, you can find details on IAB Tech Labs Project Reark. Other solutions being proposed from across the IAB membership and the all-important jargon-free explainers of exactly what is happening. Just visit iabuk.com forward slash user ID. That's it for this week. More brilliant guests to come in February. But for now, thanks very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.